This week on the pod, we look at Collingwood's form rut, fix the score review farce, delve into what Reece Shaw and David Teague are doing differently to their predecessors, and should the grand final be a lock at the MCG? You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello everybody, uh, Matt Walsh here with you for another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. I'm joined as always by Neil Seawang. How are you going, Neil? I'm very well, thank you. What was your highlight from the weekend of footy? Plenty to choose from. It was a fantastic round of footy. Wasn't uh, it ever? I think I remember at the very end of our podcast last week talking about how, how an easy round it was for tipping. I think you said that it was pretty easy to get a 9 out of 9. Lock in a 9, nine out of 9. But incredible upsets. I mean, fantastic that there are so many teams that can beat each other on, on any given day. I think the highlight for me has to be the last-minute wins for Essendon and um, your boys, Carlton. I think that, you know, underdogs, um, a lot of adversary, and the fact that they were able to, to pull out those amazing wins in the last minute were just fantastic. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think uh, the the overall rounds results, uh, it was just a good weekend to be in, on in front of the couch mm-hmm. uh, watching a bit of footy. Jake Michaels, welcome to you. What was your highlight? Oh, I agreed with that. I think um, Murphy kicking that goal. The roller coaster, the last <laughs> two minutes from, from Daisy to Switkowski to, to Murphy, it was um, the heart was pumping a bit. But... Jake, were you watching live or I heard a story that you might have been watching on You delay. heard a story from me. Yeah, well, I do. I, I was off Sunday and I tape all the ga- the three Sunday games and watch them back to back. And I have to put the I have to put a book in the in the corner of my TV because Fox Footy put up the the scores <laughs> yeah. in the corner, and I don't like seeing the scores, obviously. Um, and then when I got to the Carlton game, I knew I was watching like two hours delayed by that point. <laughs> and um, yeah, t- no social media, turn the phone off and enjoy the game. No, it was great. Living in the dark ages, you are. I am. Got to watch them all though. You do, absolutely. I uh, like Pokemon, got to catch them all. Christian Jolly <laughs> from Champion Data, what was your highlight from the weekend? Um, I like North. North's performance was. Um really outstanding I sort of I, I worked mm. on that game and sort of said I still think they need to be seven goals in front by three quarter time because Collingwood will come they never did North mm. just held them off the that's whole an night. amazing amazing performance I think a lot of people knew that Collingwood were maybe only just going but they had the ability to switch gears but North did not let them get anywhere near that contest from the start correct just dis- dismantled them really yeah. across the game can they make finals North well I mean well, hey we should we should hold off on that a bit because we will talk about North uh, in our first segment which is three on three it's time for three on three. Yes, we're going to spend uh, roughly three minutes, maybe more, uh, on three different maybe topics 10. from each week. Maybe <laughs> ten. We'll see how it goes. It does blow um, up But we will talk about North, because both North and Carlton have caretaker coaches in at the moment. And uh, Reese Shaw is three and one as a caretaker coach. David Teague is two and one. Combined, it's a five and two record. It's uh, not too shabby. What are we looking at when we look at these clubs? What are they doing differently? Christian, can you help us out with, with this? Yes, yeah, so I've run over a few of the numbers. So we'll start with Carlton. I mean, the first number that... Uh, jumped out at me was the first week um, under Teague. They won the contested possessions by 22 against the Lions. So that was their, um, I think it was their third biggest result in the last five years in contested possession differential. Again, to me, that sort of, I think that's taken out of the coach's hand. That's got to be more of a player's effort, spirit type thing. Mm-hmm. And to see that for one week, it was Get great. Up emotionally. Um, the next two weeks, they sort of evened out. They were negative four against the Bulldogs and plus four against the Dockers. So it hasn't maintained for three weeks. But again, just looking at some of the numbers, it's it's trying to separate. All right, what is what is the coach having involvement in, and a change of coach, you know, is uh, resulting in the increase in numbers. And what are the numbers are just the players playing with more freedom, sort of thing. The one big one that stacks up for both of these teams and the coaches is the forward half game um, for both of them. So I'll start with Carlton. So rounds one to eleven under Bolton for time in forward half, they rank seventeenth. Um, 
under Teague in the last across their last three games, they're ranked sixth at plus two minutes fifty three. So they're going from negative nine minutes per game to plus well, almost three minutes per game. There was game. a period in that Frio game where I think Carlton had seventeen consecutive right. yeah, so inside fifties. I mean eight, that's unheard of. They had eighteen inside fifties, which is a club record for the most in a row. So that is just dominating territory, not letting the the opposition get. And that was after unheard of up. for the yeah. team that's on the bottom of the ladder. I mean that's crazy. Yep. So what's that? Is that just them setting up? really well behind the ball is it forward half pressure yeah like I think it's, it's it's getting the ball in there and then locking it in there so the setup of yeah basically when the ball's inside your forward 50 how you're defending the next 50 to 80 metres of ground um, and as I said it, it's coming up really strongly for both teams that have had coaches this year have mm-hmm. seen their biggest change in their numbers have both come in that in that part of the ground uh, so sticking with Carlton again just for forward half intercepts so again either looking at defensive half turnovers from the opposition but Carlton actually winning the ball back uh, they were 16th for intercept, forward half intercepts per game under Bolton, second under Teague at 31. So they're they're getting 10 more forward half intercepts per game. Uh, I, I think I noticed this on the weekend because um, I was keeping an eye because it's a trend that's been going on for well, I mean, three games now. But uh, I did notice that it wasn't just the midfielders and the forwards who were taking these forward half intercepts. You'd find that the Joneses and on the weekend it was Jones because he was his first game back. The Marchbanks, the Weederings, who were pushing up beyond the wing and taking those intercept marks as well. So there obviously is an instruction to sort of push up the ground and not leave it too late with their defending. Correct. And that, that also goes to being able to trust your forwards. So the forwards need to be putting pressure on because if you, as a defender, push too far up the ground and then the forward 50 is not putting enough pressure on, they're bringing it out and just kicking it over your head and getting open goals. I think that was happening to Carlton a little bit in, under mm. Bolton as well, I think yep. the setup might have been very similar, but Just it's the execution of that setup, and you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts to sort of go. What is a team trying to do, and how successful are they at it? So Bolton and Teague might be trying to do the same thing, but just under Teague, they're being more successful at it in terms of where players are standing and things like that. Um, so with Carlton again, so looking at forward half stuff, that's resulted in their points for they were 67 points per game under Bolton, 17th. Uh, up to 85.7 in their last three games, which is third in that time. Um, and then looking at North, so they're the same. Time in forward half, they've gone from 13th to first with the coach change. Mm. Intercepts in the forward half, 15th to seventh. So not they're not number one in that, but what they are number one is is taking that opportunity. So when they do win the forward half intercept, uh, they're scoring 38% of the time from those. So 38% of the time the team turns it over in the back half. North score, that's number one in the comp. Punishing teams so on the yeah, rebound. It's getting that punishment going. Well, that's interesting, yeah. The reset certainly worked well for both clubs. They're playing completely different brands of football, which I mean, it goes goes. You don't know how much is are they just performing for their coach? You know, is the, is the messaging coming across better and they're more engaged, or are there tactical things that a new coach is is bringing in? But I'm I'm really surprised by by the dramatic differences because bringing in new tactics mid year would be quite difficult to do. I would have thought. Well, it kind of helped, I guess, that the buy has been over the last few weeks as well. You get a bit of extra time to prepare that sort of stuff. Um, but I mean, we sort of said it in the column on the weekend. Jack Zebel, I mean, reinvented himself. I mean, once they stopped using him as a permanent forward and hadn't had him more of a midfield split um, pushing forward, mm. it's been a revelation for North. I mean, and this also goes to Jake's long-term argument about play players where they're best suited. I know you've got a, a bee in your bonnet about Dangerfield playing too much <laughs> midfield, uh, too much forward time. But the same with Zebel, their experiment with him as a permanent forward was an unmitigated disaster, and I think we called called for him to be dropped on on this podcast at round four or five. But he's gone back to the midfield where he can be an absolute bull, set the tone physically, which he did against Collingwood. Uh, and he's been he's been amazing. And for the Blues as well, you can look at someone like Ed Kerno, who was languishing on a half-forward flank under Bolton, and, and all of a sudden he's 
played in a position which he's really good at, which is in the midfield and as a tagger. Mm. Uh, and he's having an influence on the other team's best midfielder. And, and on the weekend, he had 16 clearances and was clearly probably the best per- player on the ground for the Blues in their win over Frio. Yeah, so I had a quick look at their personnel. So going to Carlton and their midfield. So they're, they're foremost used midfielders at centre bounces under Bolton with Patrick Cripps, number one, Zach Fisher, two, Paddy Dow and Sam Petrovsky-Seaton. Under Teague, mm-hmm. um, Kurt, Ed Kerno's now gone to the number one centre bounce and tennis player. Cripps second, obviously has missed a game in that time. Mark Murphy third, Sam Walsh fourth. So going back to, I mean, not Sam Walsh, he's new, but Murphy and Ed Kerno are going back to what they've always been in the middle for Carlton, so sort of going back to the personnel. You'd much rather that, wouldn't you, as they... a Carlton fan? You'd much rather a blend of experience yeah. and, and youth rather than just throwing the, the kids to the wolves and hoping they improve. These younger players need to learn the ropes, but you can't just say, right, the experienced players are stepping back now. It's all on you. Yeah. They've got to be slowly integrated into this. And you see it happen with you know, Geelong's done it in the past, the Hawks, Sydney. They've integrated these younger players into the team, not just said, right, we're, we're you know, Murphy, Simpson, um, Kerno, Cripps, we're taking a back seat and you guys are, uh, have to shoulder the load now. So, no, it's, it seems to be working much better. And then just from North's point of view, I sort of looked at their personnel. As, it's just in the whole sort of team and the, the 22 they're picking each week. There hasn't been much personnel on the field for what you know what's been put out in front of Reece Shaw compared to Brad Scott. So round twelve, uh, Reece Shaw's first game in, Durden came into the team. McMillan went out injured. Round thirteen, Garner came into the team. Higgins went out injured. Round fifteen, Garner went out of the team, and uh, Kyron Hayden came in and made his debut. So not many team changes happening. So it's not like and North's position changes haven't changed too much either. So I think um, Reece Shaw's going with the same cattle and the same mm. setup that Brad Scott had it's just he's getting more um, more success out of it fascinating mm. could we see some more coaching changes to, to do something similar do we think for the rest of the year I mean uh, the Saints again had another loss and had a pretty bad second half fade out Neil yeah well we discussed them in depth last week I think we're all in, in agreement that Richo was probably a bit unfairly um, criticised and, and his position queried but I think we funnily enough we're, we're all in agreement that he'll probably not see out the year or not coach next year uh, whereas John Walsfold seemed to have um, bought himself some time at the very least with that amazing win. Well, I mean, Kay Hooker forward, uh, maybe he, he was just doing a bit of caretake uh, coaching on the run uh, Sorry, in, yeah. uh, in throwing uh, the, the the dartboards around on the... Uh, throwing the, the, throwing the, the dartboards? The dartboard. throwing, <laughs> throwing the darts <laughs> at the dartboard. What am I trying to say? Throwing <laughs> the magnets around the whiteboard? Something like that. Oh, goodness. Uh, I need a coffee. Hey, uh, <laughs> let's move on because um, Chris Scott called it a travesty uh, that the... Uh, the MCG had locked in the grand final for basically another 40-odd years. 2057. 2057. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to even think like yeah. that's going to that, be that, a year at be, some point. <laughs> exactly. It's so far ahead. And I think that's what so, so many people are upset about, that the grand final is just locked into Victoria and the MCG for so long. Um, John Longmire agreed with him. Are we at a point now where it is a truly national competition and we should be sharing the grand final, Jake? We've been at that point for a long time. I don't think we're at that point now all of a sudden. I think it's... You know, you we've been at this point for for years, and and I I believe that the grand final should be should be not shared. I don't like the idea of it just moving around from place to place. So top, not not like an NFL style. No, no, no I don't think so. Because I don't think we have it the 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 fifty to hundred thousand seat stadiums that we're going to host these. We don't have enough of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it's just going to keep rotating around the same stadiums. I I think what needs to happen is the team that finishes top. Should be hosting it. Well, what I mean, if it's and, Gold Coast? And if it's and if it's Gold Coast, then it's Gold Coast. I mean, that's the that's the nature of it. I can't see that happening. You I can't mean, see Gold Coast being <laughs> in the grand final, or it won't look. It won't happen. No, I know no. it won't happen. Well, it's a contract. It's it's not going to happen. Let's, let's and, and even and even past the forty years, it's not going to happen. But it should happen. 
So hypothetically, let's say there's no contract. And hypothetically, there are 80,000 seat stadiums in Perth and, and Adelaide, Adelaide and Sydney, Sydney and Brisbane and Brisbane on the Gold Coast then does, <laughs> does the land Tassie have a team Tassie, yeah. This point? Yeah, Tassie of course has got a team and, and got a beautiful grand down <laughs> in Blunston with 80,000 people um, but is it the contract and the fact that there's only one ground that holds 100,000 the only reason that this is happening and every single year even if Adelaide even if it's say Adelaide versus Fremantle in a grand final they've got to play it at the MCG if, if there was more stadiums could you see the argument to actually rotate it around or give home ground advantage? I think so, because I, but at the moment, as you say, it's go, if it's going anywhere else, it's it's forty to fifty to sixty thousand tickets that the aren't sold. AFL is going to be missing yeah. out, on. and, and there's no made, way the AFL is going to going to let that slip. The AFL never let you're right. The AFL would never sacrifice the forty thousand seats that are corporates, that are sponsors, that are people that they can get to the ground. They're never going to say to them, "Well, we're going to scale back again." They're always looking to scale up. I mean, you look most years. I think the the public allocation goes down by a little bit, mm. down by a little bit, as the AFL tries to squeeze more um, seats into sort of corporate areas. <laughs> Speaking as them, they're never going to publicly admit it, but they would never give up the, to, the to, twenty, thirty thousand seats. Sorry, to your point, Neil. I think it, it's accurate. I mean, if if every city in the country had a had a ninety hundred thousand seat stadium, I don't think there would be an issue with with Playing it at Metricon, if 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 got, if, if that stadium held a hundred thousand, I don't think there'd be an issue. Yep, I, I, would I, you get a hundred thousand people to fill it? <laughs> that's another question. Yeah, that, that's, that's a, good a that's a that's a good point. I think I think most people. I I, I still hold the view that the AFL is still a very Victorian centric competition. I think that the legacy of the VFL still has its grasp around a lot of what the AFL says and does. And it'll always be like that. You've got what nine nine teams, ten from teams the city. in Victoria. Yeah, ten from Victoria. Yeah. Um, so, further to your point, Matt, you, you say the AFL always wants to maximise, you know, attendances and, and corporates and whatnot. So that they'd never want to, to all take, about the dollar, all, all about the dollar and the exposure. What about the idea that was floated late last year by a, a couple of um, really interesting, um, or a couple of, I guess, bigger names in the AFL? I think um, might have been the, the CEO of the Swans said it at one point, and a few players liked the idea of it. What about a best of three grand finals yeah, series? One at the MCG and one at, at whoever else it might be. Rate it one hundred percent. Yeah, I think you could you could make a case for it, and and it's uh, it would be unusual in that it's a it's kind of like the Champions League, I guess, or you know, not maybe not in the the final, but it would be like in the you know the preliminary matches where you play one home, one away, and that's that's how they balance it out. Mm. But I think a best of three could really work in the AFL. Shorten the season, seventeen game season, have a bye week in there, eighteen weeks, have your finals, great home team uh, host the final wherever it is, get in your park. Um, I, uh, Amy, uh, what are you looking at me, Jake? You're not, you're not well, liking you, my idea here. Well, you rate it, but I have to say I hate it. I, I don't like it at all. Yeah, I, if I would love the dollar. Yeah, I don't. Three I don't, games. It'd be fairer for an It would be fairer. Yeah, two at Adelaide Oval and one at, one at the MCG if it's Adelaide-Richmond. So, so if it's Adelaide-Richmond, where do you play the first one at the MCG? Well, if Adelaide finishes high, you play two at Adelaide Oval. You play Adelaide Oval, MCG, I don't Adelaide think Oval. it's... A, you need, it's not like you can play these games after... You, you can, it's not like the NBA where you can have a two-day break and go again. No, no, no. You don't have a week. week. You'd have to have right. a week. You need you to, have to go days. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. So and, it could be a three-week. That, and that's just too long. No. No, no. That's, that's too long. More of attrition. No. Think how much everyone went crazy when they, when they put the buy in between the finals. But, but that's not, not a buy. I know it's, it's a, not a buy, but it's just dragging it on for too long. Oh, you I can't don't drag like on a grand. I think I if think you have I, a seventeen round se- season, it's not dragging it on too much. Do I you think, think the players would want to play? Do you think the players would want to play in three? Why big can't games? I'm and, not a and it, it cheapens? It cheapens a grand final. Does it cheapen the NBA finals when they play a best of seven? 
No, it doesn't. So I think the difference with the when you're using American sports as the example is they play it all the way through from the first round of finals onwards. So it's a you get to finals and you play best of seven games. The AFL idea that's been floated around is you just play normal finals one on one, and then you get to go to the grand final and yeah. play. Well, the Champions League's the opposite. They play know, yeah. home and away legs, and then they play the one final, and it's always in a, a, ran- I think, a random. City. I mean, I, I can't see it happening for a long time, if if at all. But I think it's fairer. Like, there's a lot of people that you know, if you're if you let's say we all supported you know Fremantle or Brisbane or, or Adelaide, we and and looking back to 2017, Adelaide finishes top, they're the best team all year, and then they play Richmond their opponent whose home ground is the MCG in front of a massively um, strong home ground for the Tigers fans. And all advantages of finishing above Richmond is just out the window well, in the that, biggest stage. That's, that's true. And, so I, and I've fairer. always felt that from, from a fairness standpoint, yes. However, um, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> hey, as an, aside, as an aside though, I don't think you'll find West Coast complaining about having to play at the MCG at the moment, Neil. Why is that, Matt? Well, I mean, they've now won five straight at the venue. Yeah, uh, including right. a grand final. Mm-hmm. A few over Collingwood, um, but their win over Hawthorne on the weekend just sort of cements them as probably the road warriors of the it's AFL at the moment. It was a, it was a really good win. The fact that they um, coughed up their lead and then and then won it back, and, and Nick Nat gives them that little X factor if he can get um, a little yeah. bit more they're match fitness the toes in with, with Nick Nat, they, they? And they look like they're just in third or fourth gear at yeah. best, West Coast. So I, th- I I still consider them a challenger. So, so it's so amazing they um, built Optus Stadium to be the same dimensions as the MCG. Well, and I think we looked at if they... I'm pretty sure they started training there in the 2018 pre-season. And if that's right, then, yeah, they have not lost a game at the MCG since training Final on it. Zip, isn't it? Yep. And, and before, that, before three of them are against Collingwood. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Amazing. Um, we should move on. We're getting a bit heated on this discussion. But uh, another one that's probably due to <laughs> going to get, get us rolled up but, uh, is uh, basically the score review is uh, it's broken, isn't it, Jake? Well, it's been broken for... A long time. But I Thursday don't, I don't night cemented it, didn't I don't think it? it's ever... How long have we had the score of you in place for? Five years? Five, six? Yeah. I don't think it's ever been at a point where anyone's been happy with it. No, but but Thursday but night, I think, was a breaking point because McKernan's year, kick was absolutely touched. Well, I'm year. not sold that it was absolutely touched. Well, I I am. I think it was, but I can see the I argument. I think it was. There, there's no... I know it was. There's I'm, I'm, no I'll point, point and, and as Christian said um, earlier today, there's no frame where you can see finger touching ball there's no so it, which is there's that's enough. that's there's, their beyond reasonable doubt for me would have to be a frame with the finger touching the hand on the ball the finger making an impossible movement behind the hand is enough for me and that was 100% touch so my argument so i i agree it's probably touched in that but my argument goes back to the the premise of the score review the score review wasn't brought in to find out whether a finger had bent backwards or not <laughs> the one that i keep going to is the 2009 grand final i think it was yep. tom hawkins kicked a goal was was given a goal the ball yeah. hit the post and you could see it on tv that's what it was sold to us as we're going to fix these mistakes i don't like going into the nitty-gritty of oh, i finger move back the ball's touch we're now changing the score so how do we fix it do we focus on a bunker system do we focus on making it goal line only with the snicko do we do we give player challenges well i think i've come up with the solution and you jake just... have you patented this because i like this idea yeah. well i have quickly I before we publish the podcast uh i've been on the phone to the afl and um we're getting the go ahead they picked up week. did they yeah they did oh, <laughs> um yeah you just said it then Player challenges. Mm. This is something that we see in all other sports. We see it in tennis. We see it in cricket. We have the you know give the players the chance if they if they believe. So so Kennedy touched the ball. He can say right, Phil Davis. I have just I've touched this. I know I've touched. I can I can feel it. Please challenge this because because they'll overturn it and, and tell them why you're challenging and and tell, say so yeah you don't have a it's touched off the boot. It's not not touched on the goal line. Mm-hmm. It's touched off the boot. Mm-hmm. 
they review it. Then they don't need to. They don't need to spend twenty seconds doing it and rushing it. They can spend a minute, 90 seconds. I, I think fans are happy to wait 90 seconds for the right call. People don't like waiting 90 seconds for the wrong call. Yeah. So so wait 90 seconds, get the result right. And then I think the, the biggest benefit of giving a challenge, whether it's one or two per team per game, is that if, there is, if there's one that was like that and we can look back and say, gee, it was touched. Definitely touched. It was definitely touched, but it was, but it was a goal. We can say, well, they never reviewed it. That's so the onus, fault, the onus yeah. is on the player. The onus is on the players like a, a and the fielding, team. A fielding team in cricket that doesn't review you exactly. Know, a really fine you don't blame sneak. the technology yeah. then. Yeah. We. St- I, I still believe that the cameras need to be better quality and they need to be more and in in better positions to spot all this stuff. And at every ground too. And at every ground, same yeah. as the the snicko in the mm-hmm. post. But it takes away the fo- it takes the focus away from the uh, from the technology, and you then say right. He nicked it behind, but they didn't challenge it. Well, that's their fault for not challenging yeah. it. The reason uh, this is the first the, the the first time I ever heard of this possibility for AFL was this morning in our pre podcast meeting, Jake. And I, I've really come around to it. And I think it comes back to um, what we were saying before. What Christian was saying was, I think it then that system would actually only look to stop the absolute howlers, like it would the absolutely obvious errors. It wouldn't be re- a review for every single possible tiny mistake because. Thinking back to that incident on Thursday night, it may—I still think it probably did hit his fingers. But you, you guys say that you could put your life saying, on it. Think <laughs> probably. But but how many back in the day? How many you know goals would have gone through before um, goal review technology that would have just clipped someone's finger? So. But the argument is it's like oh, but the good old days oh, we didn't have it and we survived fine. But it's like we survived fine without yeah, um, Snicko in, in the in the cricket. And now you wouldn't dare have a, have yeah. a professional cricket game without Snicko yeah, or but, without but, the review. But system. what we've got at the moment is is a long way from perfect. Well, just could, trying to could, find it. It could be better, of course. Yeah. But um, I think had GWS had the um, the ability to challenge that, I think that they would have would have been over the funny, the interesting thing is so even if they said yep challenge that we we he it snicked, it snicked his finger if that's the right word the cameras to me still didn't make it absolutely crystal clear that he definitely touched so it so there's still that issue with we've got to get we've got to get more cameras we've got to get better quality um, and there's got to be in positions where they're going to be able to spot this this stuff to be able to overturn it because as you say there's no re- they could have reviewed that if if under this situation and they could have said well that's all well and good that you reviewed it. And look, it kind of looks like it's touched. Like you're saying, mm. you're 95% um, yeah, exactly. sure it's touched. Yep. But if it was life or death and someone had a gun to your head, you wouldn't want to be making that call. No. Um, so, quick little poll around the uh, around the room. If uh, if it was reviewed at the ground and it was overturned and then GWS, um, it's, a, it's a behind instead, then would you bombers, have been happy with that decision? If they overturned it and said it was touched? Yeah. I think the evidence suggested it was more likely to be touched than not. Christian? I think so, but you'd yeah. be satisfied. Yes, but it's got to be conclu- <laughs> Jake. Yeah, I would, hundred percent. But the bombers might look to challenge. Back. We'd probably be arguing <laughs> the fact that the bombers might have been robbed. Well, perhaps. <laughs> um, gee, I tell you what, we should move on. We're, We're always going to argue that someone's robbed. How about stat with champion data? Uh, the Pies have gone two and two in their last four games, but in one of those wins, Nathan Buckley said it's one of the worst wins he's been a part of. Against the Dogs, wouldn't uh, it? So it's fair to say that the, the Pies have, have dropped off pretty dramatically over the last month of footy. They're still second on the ladder, but should we be concerned, Christian, about about what the Pies are doing at the moment? Um, again, I wouldn't be too concerned. They're, as you said, they're still second on the ladder, third best percentage in the competition. So I've sort of broken the season down looking for you know a nice sort of sweet spot. I've used round ones to nine as their first sort of part of the season, rounds 10 to 15 as the next part. So sort of including right an honest. extra week um, than what um, you were just talking about, the four, four games then. 
going back one extra week includes the the time they beat Sydney by seven points on a Friday night or Thursday yeah. night, a night game. Um, and that again, not convincing that night either. Sort of just got the four points. Um, so sort of looking at those two time periods, so rounds one to nine again, they were second on the ladder, seven and two percentage, one hundred twenty nine point five percent. Rounds ten to fifteen, they're eighth on the ladder, three and two with the eighth best percentage. So wheels haven't fallen off. But as again, sort of, the, there is issues there. I think, um, sort of talking to Neil before the pod, I think go back to probably round nine or ten. It was Geelong, Collingwood, clear top two, and then pick your next four or five Let's best to be, you know, in that yeah. in that next bracket. I think just looking at these numbers, the more I look into, it, I think you just got to peg Collingwood down into that next bracket now. I don't think they're quite up there with Geelong in terms of how dominant they are. So it's you know, Geelong looking gap by the numbers. And the rest I think as so. Far as you're concerned. Um, so looking at Collingwood. Um, so round one to nine, they were f- number one for disposal. So sort of played that keepings off style. Rounds 10 to 15, they're still second for disposal. So with ball in hand, they're still doing the same thing. They're trying to go, um, you know, sort of sh- uh, short and sharp and, you know, maintain possession as often as possible. So what's going the other way is rounds one to nine, they were conceding the second fewest disposals to the opposition. So they were dominating possession of the ball and not letting other teams sort of get, you know, build up of chains. Rounds 10 to 15, they conceded the most disposals. So you go to a That's Collingwood huge. game, you're going to see more kicks. They're, they're averaging, you know, as I said, the uh, second most disposals themselves and conceding the most. So the game is very open and it's very much, you know, a kick and handball style. It's almost like it's been flipped on Colling- flipped around on Collingwood, you know. sort of That's a, a huge turnaround. Yeah, they're sort of getting a dose of their own medicine. What do they think, were doing well to teams early is what teams are starting to do to them now. Do you now. think this is a, a, a mindset structural change from Buckley or is it the fact that they've had a few injuries and they've, they're, they're trying to play a different a, way to Again, this is something we always struggle with as what I say with champion data. We can only measure what has happened, not what you're trying to do. Mm, okay. So we can only look at evidence base of this is what happened in the game. Mm-hmm. We, you know, don't have enough sort of data and, you know, like you'd have to go through a whole play tracking to see what were they actually trying to do compared to what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to sort of, you know, make that definitive call. Yeah. Um, I mean, you probably look at other teams, coaches going, well, this is how they're beating teams. Why don't we do the same thing to the Pies and, and just play a possession-based brand of footy? And it's clearly frustrating, Buckley. Yeah, but I don't think you can ignore injuries. I mean, yeah. people like to... People and, and feel Stevenson's like yeah, it's a cop well. out when you say, oh, injuries. But it's like, yeah, you look at Stevenson, who's who's not playing. And then you look at some of their other important players, like Elliot, who has, has just been not able to get fit. Taylor and Adams, Beams. Taylor Adams, who's so important. Beams is out for three months. I mean, they're, they're core players. They're their they're best 15 players. The People, forward structure of that club's changed dramatically over the last month, six weeks or so. Absolutely. Yeah. Do we? I mean, Cox looked terrible. My big call from the start of the year that he was going to become one of the better oh, game elite player. Oh, I like Where, that how's that track? Egg, egg on the face. I reckon <laughs> that right. one Mine's already failed. Might so. not come right, come good. But he but he he looked like he was tracking to at least improve last year. He, he's gone backwards at a rate of knots. Mm. But, um, ben Reid is injured again. My check doesn't look like he works as well with with two other key tools around him. So. Yep. They've they've got a lot of lot of holes to plug. Goey likes the chop out that Stevenson gives him as well. I mean, and Elliot. Sort of, I mean, those three work quite well. Jamie Elliott is one of the most important players that Collingwood have when 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 he's he is. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah, you're right when you say that personnel um is is a big thing. Yeah. So looking at again, just looking at Collingwood and them versus the opposition. So their points for have dropped by twenty points per game in these two time periods. So rounds one to nine, they were scoring ninety five points per game, which is third in the comp, and they're down to seventy four points, which is twelfth. But Looking at uh, what they're conceding to the opposition, they're still basically the same. 73 points they were conceding to the opposition in round 1 to 9. Rounds 10 to 15, they're still conceding 72.6, so almost the same. So again, it's really been their, forward half. their offense is, mm. is falling away in that stage. It's not like their defense is starting to leak more scores or anything like that. As I said, they're, they're conceding a lot more disposals, but the same amount of points against. So this is what I'm sort of getting at. It's not disastrous for Collingwood. There's still a lot of positives. 
that they just I think there's only a few things they need to fix and one of those is that the opposition being able to play that keepings off off them you know because they're just getting so much time in possession so as it's, as it stands do we think that Collingwood could still win the premiership or will play in the grand final oh, if, yeah. if we all assume that Geelong's in the grand final as it stands <laughs> who who's the second best team right now that we trust to be in there in on grand final day if Collingwood was to not get any of those players back, which is not going to happen, then I would say Richmond. But Collingwood will get players back, and Collingwood will be in the grand final. Yeah, I, I don't think this is... I, I think you're right, Christian. I don't think you can hit the panic button at this point. If you're going to have a dip in form or a dip in, um, I guess, uh, commitment to the footy or like they did on the weekend, now's the time to do it. Uh, and then you, you get you kick up the butt from Buckley during the week, no doubt, um, and you start to build again towards September. Yeah. I think I think they're fine. I think and as I said, yeah, looking at the numbers, there's no huge you know swan dives that they, that can't easily sort of be fixed with a little bit of tinkering. I but, think. but how important is is it to bank those early wins? Yeah. I mean, it, you, you might not think still about second it at the time, on the ladder, but, but to just get those wins because if 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 they lost just two of those ones in the first two extra games in the first nine. All of a sudden, they they might not be might not be making finals. Yeah. I mean, it's so important to bank those early wins. It allows you to have that that little form slump. Not and, that you want to have it. And you're right. So going back and looking at Collingwood, I think we played. I think they played Carlton in round eight and just got over the line. And yep. I sort of looked at them then and said they're not going that well. I've actually gone back to round six. So against Anzac Day, or sorry, on Anzac Day, they won one quarter against Essendon, yeah. but won the game. They just fell over the line. So then. from rounds one to five, they'd won twelve out of uh, twenty quarters, which would have been just you know seventh or sixth so they weren't dominating then either um we're second on the ladder round six to 15 they've actually lost more quarters than they've won so they're 15 18 record across quarters so again that's another sort of quick snapshot to say well they're not dominating games from way to go they're actually yeah getting getting themselves over the line when it really needs to count but how long can you sustain well, the that? thing that about the pies in those early to middle parts of the year and we commented on it a few times was the 15 minute patch that they'd have mm. where they just come out and Blitz the opposition. I think St Kilda and, and that it as happened well. against the Blues. I mean, that was yep. that last fifteen minutes. Carlton were all over them at one point, and they just um, they kicked when they had to. Yeah. So rounds one to nine again, five goals, five goal streaks. They did that five times across rounds one to nine. They yeah. haven't had a five goal streak since then. It's going to be fascinating yeah, to see how they go on Friday night against Hawthorne, who uh, look like they're probably oh, they're, they're their seasons. Down. Their seasons probably not going to um, end in any sort of finals appearance. So. The fact that Collingwood didn't respond after what Buckley said uh, about them against their with their performance against the Dogs, they didn't respond. They got absolutely mauled around the footy, um, and I think Buckley called them soft after the game. So I'd be really, really, really interested to see how they go on Friday oh, night. I'd expect a really big response from them. Maybe he does a Hinkley and drops uh, three senior players. Can he afford to? I don't know if he can. Certainly who'd, not. Who would he drop, Matt? Who'd, who'd be on your? Be on I'd, the, be dropping be on the Pendlebury. I'd be dropping Pendlebury. I'd be dropping. Side no, bottom. No, no. <laughs> I don't think you can afford to drop anyone really. Not well, the, the news is good for Pies fans. Uh, don't don't panic just yet. I've had a gutful. This is the segment where uh, Jake gets to let loose basically uh, and tell us what he's had a gutful of. Jake, what's rant worthy this week? Well, it's not really a gutful or something, but it is kind of a rant. So there were three really bad losses on the weekend. We can look at it on the other the other point of view and say there were three great wins and, and that they are, but from my point of view, I think there were three really bad losses. Port losing to the Dogs was a bad loss. The Pies losing to North, which, which we just touched on, was a was a really bad loss. But Frio losing to Carlton was beyond bad. That was disgraceful. That was the worst loss since Sydney losing to Gold Coast last year. And it could come back to bite them on the bum because that could mean they miss out on finals. And what I just can't wrap my head around is how they were playing the the worst team in the competition by ladder, the, the, the 18th place team, at home. They've been much better. They've been far improved this year, the Dockers. 
and Carlton's three best players pretty much didn't play the whole game. No Cripps, no Mackay, and Kerno's gone in the first 10 minutes of the game. And they're five goals up. And they're five goals up at quarter time. Carlton hadn't even scored, kicked a kicked a goal yet. They let them back in. We touched on it before. They had 18 consecutive inside 50s in the second, second quarter. Second quarter, I think. The, I think you had to have, add one from the third quarter as well. They, the Bronx cheer went up when Frio finally got an inside 50 after <laughs> the, the 19th one. It was. But even then, you assumed that Frio would just weather that storm. Yeah. So, so there was that. There was the first part of it letting Carlton back in, and then they then they sort of weathered it a little bit. They got back in front. Walters kicked a goal with six and a half minutes to go to put him back out by fifteen. So you think, okay, Carlton's going to have to kick at least three now to win it. Probably not going to happen in the last six minutes of the game. And sure enough, they do. Um, and they kicked four. I think four in the last six minutes. Maybe it was because Switkowski kicked one. So. It was um, it was horrific, and so that that could cost them a final. That spot. very much could cost them, a, particularly given that we've we've seen it's so tight. And we say it every year, but it is so tight um, in that middle portion of the ladder. That is one that they might look back on and think, "How the hell did we lose it?" And if that was a round twenty three game, you just they, there's just no way they lose it. So that goes, you know, you just said they, they lost to the team that was sitting 18th coming into the round. They just lost to Melbourne the previous week as well, who I think were 16th, 16th. when they played them. So just looking at Frio, if you if you break the ladder down to when you just play top eight teams, Frio would be fourth on that ladder. If you break the ladder down to just games against the bottom 10 teams, Frio would be 12th on that ladder. So it's almost like they're getting themselves up for the big opposition and probably just, you know, not really getting the job done against the lower. Because they've, they've, they've probably had two of the best wins of the, of the season when they, they beat GWS in Canberra. And they beat uh, Collingwood here at the MCG. So big, big, you know, big um, challenges on the road. They seem to get up for, and then mm. it's obviously an emotional or a lack of concentration or respect that well, they, they only they... fell over the line against the Lions at home. They had to win that after the siren with the behind as well, mm-hmm. Michael Walters. Yeah, um, yeah. Mate. Have they no, got, have they got enough medal to make finals? Jack? I don't think they do. And I and I and I, you know I watched that game obviously, and I just thought this is. I don't. I can't remember a game that I went into. Thinking, and particularly at quarter time, that I thought there is absolutely no way Carlton can win this game. At quarter time, I was like, it, it was the biggest certainty I could ever think. Frio is going to win this game comfortably, probably by seven to twelve goals, and it was just an an unreal turnaround. So at the moment, they're they're clinging uh, into the final spot. They're in eighth. Um, they're above Port and Essendon by percentage only, and then North and Sydney are further game behind. One word answer, De Frio play finals? No. Yeah, I think they're scraping. That was more than one word. Apologies. Win the derby, yes. Or the derby this week. That's well, that's important. Well, they haven't won one in a while, so they're going to have to... Well, they get up for the better team, so... Well, they do. Um, so, But look, credit to credit where it's due to the Blues. I mean, they, they've done well. And I think if you take out their first quarters under Teague, <laughs> they've been incredible. I think they're maybe minus 60 points in first quarters under Teague and plus 85 for the rest of the game. So it's... It's kind of crazy. They're starting slow, but they're, in they're, fact, the they're crazy, finishing well. The crazy thing about the Blues is they're 2-1... and one, uh, to, They're 2-zip and zip when they haven't scored a goal in the first quarter <laughs> and they've lost their only game they've scored a goal in the first quarter. So that's the game plan. The game Do plan. not score in the first quarter and then <laughs> Just we'll... uh, limit it to about five goals the opposition kicks yeah. and, and they'll be fine. No, deserved rant. It's time to move on. And the three votes goes to... Yeah, you went with the negative spin on the weekend's action, didn't you? And uh, Jake and... Oh, I always do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that is that's true. We we do give you the the rant for a reason, I guess. Um, but I'm going to go the opposite way because on the whole, round 15 was a, a great round of footy. I mean, from Thursday night footy, it, it kicked off really well. Uh, the Bombers pretty much looked down and out in that game as well. Um, 
probably should have been if the score review had gone uh, the way of uh, the Giants. But uh, Kyle Hooker's moved forward, um, and then you know the two goals I think in in the second half and he was big. McKernan's no, no goal as well. as well. For the yeah, second half. and 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 so the underman oh, bombers overrated. Been saying it for ages. <laughs> the underman bombers winning by six points was great. Um, Hawthorne West Coast was a, was a classic in the wet. I thought. Um, Gee, the Eagles were good. They got some impressive. Ki- I mean, Oscar Allen was really good in the in the last parts. Luke Shuey's a gun. Um, Nick Nat's back. Nick Nat's back. I think uh, the Eagles are, are, are doing pretty more well. time on the bench than on the. Ground. Yeah, I think he only played like fifty eight. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that was. But they only chucked him into the center bounces, and I just think that is again. Well, I think that's one of the most beautiful things in the game to watch is Nick Nat knew he could test the center bounce. So yeah. as long as yeah, they foot above everyone, as long else, as they called him up for those, I was happy. And then run straight yeah. off. <laughs> um, Carlton's win over Freo was was obviously uh, pretty memorable. I think one of the best wins that. Uh, the Blues have had in the last five, six years at the very least. Uh, and then the upsets, I think we touched on the Dogs, and, and the Dogs have kind of gone a bit unnoticed. I think the focus has been on some of the other games and Port Adelaide. Um, but, geez, the Dogs came out and did to Port what Port have been good at all year, winning the contested ball, mm-hmm. had 100-plus tackles. Um, I mean, Jake, you said it uh, yesterday, basically, that um, Port Adelaide destroyed West Coast in the wet in Perth, mm. playing a contested, hard-edged brand of footy. Uh, and they allowed the dogs to come into their own patch when it was raining and, and allowed them to do what they normally do to other teams. And, geez, I tell you what, the dogs would be up and about with that win. They probably can't make finals at this point, but um, I really rated that win, Neil. I think I think any other weekend, pretty much every other weekend, where there's usually one big upset, I think we'd all be talking about the dogs and what a fantastic win, but they're just unfortunate that yeah. there was four or North five Melbourne, other great storylines. Uh, yeah, North kept the, the pies to you know, 30-odd, 35-odd points. I thought it was, was also um, pretty incredible. So round 15, I think, gets the, uh, the three votes this week. Of course, we are here for footytips.com.au. Uh, we talked about it earlier, Neil, but this last week could have been a nine out of nine week uh, <laughs> if things had gone a bit differently. But as we said, uh, the upsets were good to watch. So what can we expect this week? Well, yeah, look, just looking back quickly to last week. Um, so it was a tough round. I, I think we all looked at it with some degree of confidence that we'd get eight or nine. But 84% of tippers only got five or less. So that shows how difficult. Only just got above 50%. <laughs> um, there was no perfect rounds at all. So that was a tough week. So... Did anyone um, get nine out of nine? Uh, there were thirty-two people out of about seven hundred thousand that got <laughs> nine out of nine, and surely these people will just to use your exp- expression from earlier. I think they were throwing dartboards at darts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and this this round, I mean, every week I, I've got no idea what's happening really with in terms of tipping, but um, there's some there's some really interesting games. We talked about Hawthorne uh, Collingwood earlier. Um, Essendon versus Sydney Swans uh, is. You know that that could be another really interesting tipping game as well, and then you got you got the showdown and the derby, which are always kind of flip of the coin games. Interestingly, the closest uh, percentages of tipping so far is the Carlton Melbourne game. We've got thirty one percent going for Carlton, sixty nine percent going for Melbourne. And that's and that, the closest, and that's the closest. So I'm I'm surprised that maybe the showdown or yeah. um, or the derby might be a little bit closer than that. Um, Standing people trust Freo and Port. Just probably not. Saying. That's a good point, actually. Um, but in terms of our certainties, if we all go go around the tables here, um, I think I think North against St Kilda are going to be um, locks. So I'm really liking what Down North are doing. Um, I'm actually not 100 percent sure where that is. It's a home game. It is at Blunston. Yes, it is. So and so they got beaten by GWS down there recently, but they don't lose many, and they're playing great tough footy. So I think uh, North will uh, give the Saints a touch up and an upset. An upset for me. Uh, there's a, there's a few to choose from. I think. The fact that Carlton, Port Adelaide and, and Fremantle <laughs> are all um, upset worthy. Um, but I'll go for Carlton. I think Carlton can, can beat Melbourne. They're in better form and Melbourne, even at their best, mm. um, a Max little Gorn bit vulnerable play. at the MCG on the wide open spaces. No Max Gorn. 
Get on Carlton. Um, I think um, Geelong over the Dogs is my certainty. I think the Dogs had a great win, as I, as I said, but gee, it was bruising affair in wet weather. It's going to be hard to back it up against the best team in the competition, so I think Geelong's a, a pretty certain win. Uh, and my upset is Sydney over Essendon at the MCG. I think the Bombers prefer playing at Marble Stadium, uh, and I think uh, Sydney's been... For where they are on the ladder, I think they've been playing pretty well, and I think they're a chance to upset the Bombers. Jake? Uh, I think Richmond has, has to be the certainty. I mean, Gold Coast have, have really fallen off um, in this uh, second half of the year. Richmond starting to play some good footy. Sydney stack, get him in the forward line. Kick, he'll kick four, four or five every week. He'll win the Rising Star as well. No, he won't, yes, <laughs> but he's a good player. Um, and Port Adelaide is the upset. I think they um, will bounce back from they'll another continue shocker. continue their win loss. Yeah, win-loss, they win-loss. will. They'll, they'll be, you know, as, the, as an outsider, I mean, they're, they're, they're good value. I think Adelaide... Now, you know what you're going to get from the Crows. I think now they're a little bit more uh, settled, but Port can be inconsistent. And if they play well, like they did against the Cats, then they should win. I'm really surprised that there's only 17% of tipsters so far going for Port against Adelaide. I, I thought that would be a much much even, much even, more even split. Christian? Uh, my certainty, I had Collingwood rubbed it out, put North Melbourne, but Neil stole North Melbourne, so I'll go back to Collingwood, I think. Um, I think they'll beat Hawthorne again. Then you know They're ready for that bounce back. My upset, it's probably more of what I want to see, but Brisbane against GWS, um, Ooh, I think there's a big cool. a, a big test for Brisbane, another sort of top four side that they get to play against. They've, yeah, I think they're a good chance to, you know, at least um, be in the game right to the end. There you go. Hey, uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, tell your friends about us, and we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.